Ain't gonna burn ourselves out no more. Ain't gonna burn ourselves out no more. Got each other on our side, plus all the folks at Fried the Burnout Podcast with Kate Donovan. Hey, Fried fam, it's Sarah here. Maybe you've seen or heard that we're doing a group coaching program around here, and I'm excited to announce that we have a summer group coaching program coming up. We're starting on summer solstice. That's June 21st. We're going to meet on Wednesdays at noon Eastern time, and we're not meeting every week. We've got a bit of a schedule over the course of the summer. Those details are in the show notes. So if you are someone that is feeling low in resources, you're exhausted, and you're curious, book a call with me. I'm happy to do a consultation call with you to help you figure out if this program is right for you. Some of the things that we'll be doing are helping you to identify where some boundaries could benefit you in your life so that it can help restore your resources and make your relationships work for you which also clears resentment. And we're also going to give you permission to let yourself pee when you have to pee, eat when you need to eat, sleep when you need to sleep. These things seem too simple, but they are profound where they, when you're in the place that you're in. So we're going to do that and we're going to help you create a burnout recovery plan that truly meets you where you are with support from the group and support from me. So if this sounds good, check out the links in the show notes and book a call with me so we can chat and make sure it is the right next best step for you. Talk to you soon. You're listening to season six of Fried, the burnout podcast with your host, Kate Donovan. Fried exists to hashtag end burnout culture to help listeners release any shame, blame, guilt, or judgment that you have about burning out and to create spontaneous moments of healing through recognition of shared humanity with other people who have experienced burnout and lived to tell the tale. Fried and its associated Facebook group are free resources provided for you from our hearts. Our paid work includes keynote speaking and one-on-one coaching. You can find information about that at katedonovan.com. And now, here is this week's Healing Packed episode. Hello, Fried Fam. We're back with another episode of Fried the Burnout Podcast with me, your host, Kate. And this week, we are talking to someone who I have been recommending left and right because she has a very specific niche that I haven't seen anywhere else. What she does is help you return to work, create a return to work plan after a mental health leave. So today, we're going to have a full-on chat and dive deep into this topic with Karina Schneider, who is an accomplished global people and culture leader with experience across consulting, healthcare, and nonprofit sectors. After nearly two decades of working in the corporate environment, Karina has taken a lateral step and has set up her private coaching and consulting practice to focus on helping workplaces become spaces that support employee well-being. As a reintegration coach, Karina consults employees and their leaders as they navigate returning to work after a mental health absence. Karina, I am just thrilled to have this conversation. Thank you for being here with me today. 
Thank you for having me. I'm really excited. I wish I had you through my recovery. <laughs> so I'm really glad to be here. <laughs> well, and it's just come up so frequently that more and more people are being brave enough and courageous enough to take that time off. And then they're like, ah, I have to go back. And I'm like, oh, just follow Karina on LinkedIn. You know, I keep sending everybody to your LinkedIn. So before we Thank jump you. into that, you know, what what's your burnout story? What's your how did this all happen for you? Yeah, let me start with the burnout itself and then I'll work backwards and then you ask me questions. Um, but it was in the summer of 2020. I was at the tail end of our summer break because in, in Europe, you typically have um, you know, a couple of weeks off in the summer. I think it was about three days before I was supposed to go back and I pulled out my phone like I always do, checked what was waiting for me the following Monday. And I experienced something in my body that I had never experienced before. I had a hard time breathing. I started to cry uncontrollably. I was shaking and I was really scared. Um, and then my husband comes up to the room and he's shocked because he never sees me like that. I'm never like that. And I can't remember what I said. I do remember one sentence I said, I, and I, I told him, I feel like everything's out of control. And he's like, Karina, something's up. I, and I'm like, yeah, I, something's up. So I very quickly, in the middle of all those tears, sent a very short note to my manager saying, something's wrong. I'm not coming back on Monday. And that pretty much was day one of me trying to figure out what burnout is. I've been through many stressful experiences before but nothing like this. So I knew something was wrong um, and then figured out the healthcare system, <laughs> figured out what I needed to do and who I needed to talk to. The only thing I knew was I wasn't going to go back to work the following Monday. Was it a panic attack? I didn't know the label at that time, to be honest, but it could have been. I've never had one again since, and I know it, it doesn't mean you need to have, have it multiple times. So it could have been a panic attack. Um, based on what I know now, it could have been. But at that time, I just, I just didn't know what was going on. Yeah. Um, so it was really a scary moment. And I think that that incident on that day was really a culmination of years and years, as we now know. And it was the perfect storm, right? There were many things going on at the same time. And it was the perfect storm. and so. You know, this was the experience I needed to have to learn some really important lessons. Which ones? Well, boundaries are favorite. <laughs> Number one, because I had very weak boundaries. My identity was very much attached to my work. The, it was right at the first wave of the pandemic. So we were all just trying to do everything all at once. I had a one-year-old at that time. So we were home with a baby, working more than full-time jobs. Perfectionism and people-pleasing, right? Feeling like you just have to do it all um, and do it all perfectly and do it all right. And with work specifically, I had been with the same employer for nearly 15 years at that time. Ooh. So I had a reputation that I yeah. was trying to maintain and protect. Yeah. So while I was figuring out 
who I was as a working parent, because yeah, I was a new parent at that time, I was also managing a really demanding workload and surviving through the coping mechanisms that no longer work because it was COVID and we were locked, locked down, right? So this, yeah. this was, I think, for me, really the perfect storm. So how long did you end up taking off? Seven months. I was off for seven months. I don't know, depending on where you live, I guess that's either really short or really long. <laughs> but I managed to take seven months off. And I was grateful, to be honest, because I th- you know, my doctors were supportive. Mm. I talked to a lot of people who feel the pressure from their healthcare practitioners to go back to work sooner yeah. than they're ready. Yeah. I was so grateful that that wasn't the case for me. Um, so I took my time. And after seven months, I felt ready to go back, uh, but didn't really expect <laughs> that that was going to be a fork in the road. <laughs> so what, what how, did you just go back without any sort of plan? You're like, okay, it's time to go back to work. Like, let's go. There were maybe two things that were clear to me at that time. One was, you know, my doctor suggesting don't go back full time. So let's build up a gradual return, which was also supported by my workplace. And the other thing, only other thing I knew was I wasn't going to be doing the same thing I used to do. So I had an HR background and I was clear that I wasn't wanting to go back to the same roles I had experienced before just because I knew that it was just time for a change. Yeah. Um, other than that, I had nothing else, really. Okay. <laughs> and now I know differently. <laughs> so this happens to people really frequently. And I think that this gradual return brings up a lot of fear for a lot of people because there's no guarantee that that gradual return is going to be honored. The workplace might be saying that they're okay with it, but then once you start, like, who knows if... All of the, you're on this gradual return, but you're already working 40 hour weeks. Like, is yeah. it really gradual? How do we set it up so that it so that it is gradual? How do we set it up so that I do feel safe? What kind of boundaries do I actually need to set to be okay here? How do I hold them? One of the things that came up actually in one of our calls recently, one of our office hours calls, was somebody was saying what you were saying just now. Like, I have a certain reputation. People expect certain things of me and it's going to be more difficult for me to enter this place and be like, well, I'm different now, like handle it, you know? So how long did you last after you went back? A couple of months. And then what happened? I left. Yeah. Um, So I did go back with a gradual return and I pretty much needed to find projects I could support with that limited capacity. And so to, your, to what you just said, I think all these questions of what are people thinking, does this say something about my capability, shows up, right? Because you're doing, you know, maybe some yeah. supporting role in the background and, you know, that creates a narrative in your head. And so for me, it was really important to know what, why am I doing it this way? Why does this feel like the right thing to do? And one of my, you know, ahas was the return to work is still part of your recovery. Ooh. Day one of being back at work isn't your fine. Day one is part of the recovery. 
process because you need to figure out a way to test your environment and test yourself. You need to find a way to test, am I able to apply the learnings and the insights I've gotten through my time off into an, a context that includes other people and a culture? Um, and so I value that process so much. And so when I do the work that I do, I don't just work with the employees. I try to work with the organizations too because they need to have the same mindset. Yeah. They need to treat the return as part of the recovery so that all these fears and all these concerns, we can't eliminate it, but we can certainly manage and reduce it. I just keep going back to that sentence. Yeah. Your return to work is part of your recovery. That's so obvious. But that sentence is so strong. We talk about this a lot. This is another thing that came up in that same group where I kept recommending you. This idea of, yeah, cool that you learned some new skills while you were out, but now you need to apply this ability to make and keep boundaries and not answer your phone after 6 p.m. and what, you know, whatever else it is you, that you thought that you had to do. Like now you have to actually do those things in an environment where there's going to be sometimes different levels of pressure around certain things. Yeah. Yeah. And so so it is a testing. It is a practice. Yeah. And how do you advocate yourself for yourself in that time? Because no, who else is going to do that for you? I was lucky to have an incredibly supportive manager really, but at the end of the day, it's on me. Yeah. To say what I need, to think about how to answer the really awkward questions <laughs> of like, where have you been? <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. So. Did you? So let's start with saying what you need because I find with people who end up burnt out, really frequently we end up burnt out because we haven't paid attention to our needs for a very long time. So un- even knowing what we need is a challenge, right? Even on a really basic scale, like one of the things we say on fried all the time, if you're not a very frequent listener, you wouldn't know this, but on fried, one of our like unspoken taglines is pee when you got to pee. Yeah. Right. It's like, it's silly, but learning to drink when you're thirsty and rest when you're tired and pee when you got to pee and eat when you're hungry is meeting your body's basic foundational needs. Right which allows you then to explore other deeper needs as well. But it's really hard to learn to do that when you've been ignoring it your whole damn life. So are you expecting when somebody is like, all right, I'm uh, somebody calls you and says, all right, I'm prepping my start to work. Like, I I don't even know what to ask them for. Or is that where people are when they call you? Typically, they're like, what do I need to do? (laughs) Yeah. What happens on day one? Right. Um, And and so we take a step back because one of the first questions I ask is, what have you learned about yourself? Mm. So don't think about the we're not going to talk about day one until we're clear what you've learned about yourself and what matters to you. And then we figure out what day one and week one needs to look like, because I think that's going to be really informative in knowing what to ask for. I'll use 
a very quick example for myself. So prior to the burnout, I barely had time for proper meals mm-hmm. because I was literally so tired. I'd wake up late. I'd rush through taking my son to daycare. Barely had 10 minutes before my first meeting. And I realized late the impact that had on me because it's it just starts your day off really on the wrong foot. And then you're like that every day of the week. Yeah. And so now I know I can't take client meetings or work meetings before 10 in the morning. I just don't. Me either. <laughs> it's, it's not going to happen, right? Um, because I realize now that that matters to me. Yeah. It's something so simple, right? It's, it's breakfast, right? Or sleep, accepting I can't work till 10 or 11 in the evening and I just have to accept that. Which means probably not too many, you know, international clients or, you know, long-term commitments. Once in a while, it's okay. But I think it's, it starts with the basics. Yeah. And then we go from there. So things like perhaps you need to work from home once in a while, which today is easier to ask for, but back then wasn't. Yeah. Or maybe if you have to be in the office, maybe you need a quiet room once in a while or more frequent breaks, right? But start with the basics and start with knowing what's changed for you. What has changed for you and what have you learned about yourself? This question is a really powerful question. What have you learned about yourself in this process? And based on that learning, what does that teach us about what is important for you moving forward? Yeah. And I, I, I think that that's an important question to ask because I know for myself, I struggled with even celebrating my growth through recovery. Mm. Doesn't feel like much to celebrate sometimes, right. does it? It doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't. And I, I totally understand that. At the same time, when we're doing all the things we need to do to get better, we are growing as people. We become better people. And we just don't really acknowledge that as much I think yeah one of the um Sally Clark who does burnout research and was on the podcast ages ago and we were I think like three quarters of the way through our conversation and she was like well you know and there is that period of like post burnout growth yeah and it's again like like something you said earlier stopped me in my tracks and I was like so like that's so obvious but also, if we don't pay attention to it on purpose, we're not noticing it the right yeah. way. Yes. Yes. And I think it's important because it affects the stories we tell ourselves about our burnout and what happens after burnout. Because it's so easy to walk out of it feeling like I'm no longer escapable. I felt that. I'm no longer escapable. I'm not cut out for this. I'm no longer the same person. I'm not promotable. Blah, blah, blah. Right, But there's a different story that we can also tell ourselves that I think is healthier, more constructive. What does that one sound like? I now know better what matters to me. Mm. I know that work is not me and I am not my work. It's one part of it. I know that I have many skills I can use in different ways that doesn't need to be just HR as a, as a career. I know that my relationships matter to me. I know breakfast matters to me, <laughs> right? It's, it's, I think it goes back to that. Who am I as a person and what matters to me? I was scared about the type of parent I was going to be for my son when all of this was going on. 
And so having that perspective of my family matters more than anything. Yeah. Means my decisions are more grounded in that. Pride fam, I tell you in nearly every episode that step one of your burnout recovery is blood work. And I know that a lot of you avoid it because it's a pain and because your doctor has told you that everything is quote unquote fine. And they refuse to test all the things that you think you need. What if I told you that you could test what you want, when you want, from your home with just a couple of drops of blood? Cyfox Health allows you to do just that. You can buy tests as one-offs or join a membership. Either way, you can test and track your results to help you make decisions about your burnout recovery journey. Get 10% off any membership, subscription, or one-time test kit right now. Go to cyfoxhealth.com forward slash fried for your discount. That's S-I-P-H-O-X health.com forward slash fried. Yeah, that's it. But your that value becomes a guide right. for decision making. Yeah, yeah. And the next thing that you said was, you know, what do I say? How do I answer the awkward questions? Yeah, because they're gonna come. Yes. And people are not. Um, there's a. Mm, I have a bone to pick in the world of boundaries, right? Because oftentimes we, we haven't done boundaries before. So we, when we start doing them, we do them like a little too fiercely. Like we put up electric fences instead of just being like, Oh, by the way, I put up like this little line here. There's, there's some, you know, chalk dusted on, on the ground in between us. We're like electric fence right away with like wire at the top, you know? And so I think that sometimes or I see often that people are saying, well, you don't need to explain yourself to anybody. And you, and, and I'm kind of like, well, yeah, <laughs> there's a, uh, I'm, I don't think that you need to justify yourself and not, yeah. I'm not, I don't think that people deserve necessarily an explanation. However, I do think that if you say, if you can present things in a certain way, you allow people the opportunity to grant you grace right? because they know your story. Yes. At least a little bit. You don't. They don't have to know all the hairy details. They don't need to know yes. about la- the date of your last panic attack. Yeah. You know. Yes. So, how do you help people decide what to say when somebody's like, "Oh, where have you been?" Yeah. I first ask them, "Well, what do you want to say?" Mm. Because I think the question often feels like there's a right answer, mm. and I don't believe there's a right answer. I believe in what makes you feel comfortable. And it's similar to what you said. You don't have to share everything. So what's, what's the level of information you're willing to test out as a response mm. and see what that feels like for you? And I also ask the question, why do you feel you need to say something? Also, because... People have different experiences around it. They just feel like, oh, I just need to have a ready answer. I'm like, okay, then let's craft an answer you're ready to give and test it. And you can always 
build up or reduce it, right? There are people who feel like, oh, I, but I must say something because, you know, out of integrity or anything else, they feel like they have to, then, okay, then it's work from there. But I think my experience as well is being clear on why you want to say what you want to say and what's the, what's the level of information you're willing to test with the people you trust. Yeah. I also think that it's important to understand that you can have a rote response yeah. that changes based on who you're interacting with. Right. Like it, it could be response A for your closest coworkers yes. and response B for people right. a little bit further outside the circle and response C for managers, C-suite and other hierarchical yes. people. Like you, yes. you don't have to give everybody the same exact no. answer. Right. And also reminding people it's anyway, personal information. So, yeah. you know, you, nobody needs to know everything. Do you think it's personal information? Uh, depends, I think, on the culture, to be honest. I still yeah. think that some people believe, like, oh, it's too private. I remember um, there was this kind of unwritten rule about, oh, this person's off, do not contact, do not ask questions, do not reach out, right? It's like there's this yeah. cut off. Yeah. And then you just, you're left alone. Yeah. And that sends a signal of do not talk about it, do not yeah. say anything. I think we're progressing from that, which is it's okay to share it. And we should create an environment where people feel like it's okay to just put a name to it that I you know, struggle with ADHD or I live with depression or I went through burnout. But, so I've seen the progress, but at the time that I went through this, it was like, when, when, when I, the first time I heard somebody in, in a course I had taken share that they experienced burnout, I, it was this weird reaction of I felt sorry for them, but I also like, wow, finally I met somebody who went through what I did because I didn't know anyone else, right? Because nobody spoke about it. So yeah. Um, so I, I think culturally I do notice a difference in how information like this is treated. Um, and at the end of the day, that's also a boundary we set. Right. What am I willing to share? Yeah. I I just find that. If you're going to be in a working environment and you're going to need accommodations, right? There's going to be part of it that you like. It's it's no longer just about your personal story yeah. at that point. It is about what you need. And in order to ask for what you need, like in a perfect world, people would just give us accommodations and grant us grace and right. compassion. But I know that I don't always grant everybody grace and compassion without their backstory. How much easier is it for you? I remember driving down the highway in California. I was probably 21. And I'm flying down the highway because I have a brick foot. And somebody flew right past me. And I was already going 80 miles an hour. So that's not fast in Europe. But it's like 120 or so. Um, so I'm already flying 80 miles an hour down the highway and somebody flies right past me. And my initial reaction was like anger and frustration. And I stopped because we were talking about healing stories in school because I was in acupuncture school at the time. And I stopped and I thought, well, what if that person's story was that their child just got sent to the hospital and they're trying to get there as fast as they can because they are scared out of their minds and they feel unsafe, and they're just trying to get there. Would I still be angry 
if that yeah. was the story. Because the story that I put on it immediately was like, that guy's an asshole. Right. That was that was the whole story. That was the whole yeah. narrative. But what if it's a different narrative? So right. nobody is um, forced to create a narrative that's beneficial to you right. out of their imaginations. Right. Should we always do that for each other? Yeah, probably. Is it a lot of extra work and hard to do? Yeah, probably. Yes. I still swear at people in parking lots sometimes. Yeah. You know, yeah. like I'm I'm not yeah. I don't, I know this process and I still don't do it well all the time. Yeah. yeah. It's really hard and I think when this whole um piece around disclosure comes up in the conversations, the second part of the questioning is do you need support? Because if to your point, if right. you do need support, you have to share a little bit more than yeah. probably what's comfortable for you. And that's where kind of the conversation also with the organizations happen, which is you need to be ready to hear that too. Mm. You need to be able to signal to your organization, to your employees that they can share it, that it will be respected and you will hear them out and offer what they're looking for. Many of the accommodations really don't cost much. Yeah. But it needs to be discussed. Teammates and peers probably need to know. And that can get uncomfortable. Yeah. But honestly, I haven't heard anybody come back and say it was a bad idea. Right. To share. Because right. even if the response is not positive back from the employer, that's still good information. Amen. I know you don't listen. I know that you you don't listen to Fried every week, but one of the things that we always say is everything that you do is an is a moment is an opportunity to collect data. Right. And so if the data that you get back is that they were unresponsive, they were disrespectful and they were unable yeah. to meet my need, then you know those things and that's one of the ways that we understand that it's time to move on from this workplace. Right. You might need to create a slow plan, not everybody can quit yeah. and not have a job. We get it. However, if you just collected that data, don't pretend things are going to get better. Exactly. They just told you who they were. Yes. And I think that's why the planning before day one is important. Yeah. Because this is really, really hard, I think, to be processing and yeah. thinking through in the moment. Right. Right. What other questions come up when people are like, ah, it's time to go back to work? <laughs> um, one of the more, more frequent things I get is, what do I do with 20 or 40%? So that's a couple of hours a week, right? So yeah. there's this impression of that's not meaningful. Mm. And the question I ask back is, well, what if the purpose of the 20% is just learning how to show up again? Mm. Waking up at a certain hour, getting your body used to a different routine because we are in a different routine when we're off. Maybe it's just having those conversations and maybe getting one thing done. Maybe that's the point of the 20% and nothing more. Again, it's part of recovery. So there's this initial discomfort of 20%, 40%. What am I going to do with that? I understand for sure. So I just try to offer a different perspective around what, what meaning can you get out of that? And I think that framing that you gave in the beginning that this is part of your recovery right. well, makes 
creates a whole different picture. Yes. Yes. That we can lean on. Yeah. That's my hope. Part of the education, because I, I think it's a hard message sometimes to, to receive and to process. But I deeply believe it. <laughs> do you think that, um, do you ever work with people whose companies are like not willing to be part of the conversation? I haven't encountered one that's not willing. I think it was more, they're also just unprepared. Mm. So there's often this assumption of, well, we can't really accommodate them. We don't think the role's a fit anymore, so we don't really see a future. And I understand that. At the same time, if I think about the employer's perspective and what duty of care and being socially responsible means for them, I also try to provoke the conversation of, well, what if you can give them that recovery experience still under your your employment Mm -hmm. and then support them in their transition out rather than just cutting it off. Right. Because going back to work can mean different things. You can go back to your same employer. You can, it might mean you've left your employer and you're moving on to something else. Right. But if you're still attached to an employer, I think there's a really unique and special opportunity for the employer to act where they extend a little bit their duty of care to, even if we don't see a future together, we still care about you as a human being and we want to be able to support your transition to whatever is next for you. That feels like a big ask. It is. I'm not giving up. (laughs) But it is. And I totally understand it, right? I mean, there's costs related to it. You need to replace the person and the job needs to get done. I get it. I just am also hopeful that we start to just recognize our responsibilities as organizations, as employers as well. So uh, being someone who used to be in HR, how do you help them prep for these conversations? Like you were saying earlier, you know, we need to get you into a place where you're ready to receive the things that these people are going to say to you. Yeah. Uh, how, How do you do that? So when I work with HR professionals or line managers who have employees coming back, I always begin with checking in on their beliefs about mental health. Mm. What do they believe about somebody who has gone through a mental health experience? What do they believe about their capability to work and their right to work? Because I think that the way they lead that process internally will be influenced by what they choose to believe. Of course. Um, So I always start there. And then I go through, you know, I also talk through things like, you know, what do your policies actually also indicate? Because these things are typically governed by policies. We coach them through what could a return to work conversation look like? And as much as I advocate for the employee owning the planning, HR and line managers play a crucial role. And if they can do that together, even better. So having the conversations early about how do you want your return to be communicated? What are your job interests looking like now? You know, what are you willing to share about what you need? If they can ask those questions, it supports the employee as well and creates confidence that they can come back safely 
right? And they can come back with some outlook of what's waiting to receive them on the other side. Yeah. When people are asking for accommodations, what have you found to be the most popular, the most consistent accommodations that people are requesting? Flexibility with work hours. Mm -hmm. And also, if they're able to use part of their work hours for some of whatever else recovery related they need to do. So if they have doctor's appointments and stuff like that, because the, what I've noticed is the fir- one of the biggest challenges they face in their first weeks is energy. Mm. So they're, they're, they're walking in with the assumption they have the energy of a you know, five-day work week. And they're in hour number three. I'm like, I'm so tired. I can't do more. So what I have found worked really well was just flexibility in terms of how they do the work what types of meetings they're really expected to be a part of so that it still honors the fact that, you know, they might, they just might not be able to join meetings that are later in the day. So I think crafting really what, what are those responsibilities that they don't feel they will later be punished in their performance reviews, right? I think that's really important for the individuals I've worked with. Do you think that there are people, maybe not do you think, isn't your experience, have there been people that are that know already ahead of time that the place that they're going back to is not going to be the place? Yeah. And so in that case, do you still help them return to that place or do you help them make a different decision and start in a new place? And if they're starting in a new place, are these the same conversations or is it a yeah. different set of conversations? Like what kind, you know, yeah. a lot of people change jobs completely yes. during burnout recovery. So yeah. if, if they're changing jobs, then what? Yeah. So the, the first scenario, which is, do they already know they don't want to go back? Yeah. It depends who approaches, right? If it's the employee who's approaching or the, so that's in the, probably another conversation of managing those different stakeholders. Right. Um, but if it was the employee coming to me and saying they really don't think going back um, is the right thing for them, then I coach them through what's driving those decisions. Because I also caution against making decisions prematurely. So if you're clear and you have all the right kind of reasoning in place, then the conversation is, then how do you now navigate an exit plan? Yeah. And then let's, think, let's first think of a, reasonable, safe exit plan for you. There will be some who will say, I don't think this is the right environment for me, but I can't afford to leave my job right Right. now. Then we talk about, and how can we make a period of time manageable so that you you still go back, but it's we maybe change our expectations about what that time's going to feel like and then figure out your plan B. And there are some who will say, I'm no longer connected with my employer. I'm now moving on to the next thing for me. And to your, to your question, I think in general, the questions are similar. The topics are similar. It's still mm-hmm. going back to what matters to you, what your values are, what your boundaries are. What's different is then how you show up towards your new employer. Yeah. How do you interview? Because, right. Because you don't have the history. Right. Right. So um, it's the same thing. If they know that they're going to need 
support and accommodations, then we still have to go through coaching around disclosure. If you don't think you need it, then that's maybe that's got that conversation is part. And we don't need to get to that until later. But there's not a lot of difference. I think it's different if they move to self-employment, because then it's a conversation between you and yourself. Because <laughs> there's no workplace stakeholder yeah. to work through, but then it's harder because you have to hold yourself fully accountable for the entire experience and unlearning and learning new ways of working. While you're trying to create income and, right. you know, la la la. And we all yes. know how that goes as an entrepreneur. Exactly. Some, some months <laughs> you're like, I'm floating on air. And some months you're like, should I eat today? Yeah. Yeah. And it's been several years for me now, a couple of years. And I still struggle with like back-to-back meetings. Like I, I wonder how I actually managed all that in the past. Because today, I I can't and I really don't want to. Yeah. Do you have when well, if people are moving into um like a more entrepreneurial space after burnout, yeah. which I don't always highly recommend because yeah. the the financial if you have a lot of financial pressure, especially yeah. yes. if you have a lot of financial pressure, it's like you it takes a long time to build a business that makes money. <laughs> it just it just does. And I, some people get lucky, but that's just not normal. And so you you do have to have a certain amount of stick it to itness, yes, to make it through. And uh, I've only ever worked for myself, mm-hmm. so that was never really a question for me. Am I going to work for myself or am I going to work from? I yeah. I'm not a good employee. I'm never going to work for anybody. <laughs> so one of the things that I tell people is how you want the business to look when you're successful is how you need to build it today. Yes. Yes. So if you're thinking that once you're successful, you'll take Mondays and Fridays off, let me yeah. tell you something. You will not. You because will not. you you will not <laughs> because you will have built it in such a way that requires you to be present as many hours as you're present. Right. And so understanding like I also just like you I don't work before 10 o'clock every I do office hours twice a month at nine o'clock for because it makes sense for people to be able to show up and every every once in a while I'll take a 9 a.m meeting yeah that's it yeah Uh, you don't want to talk to me before 10 o'clock I'm doing other things and I only work until five ish yeah Later than that, I get up a few times a week really early to exercise. I get up at five o'clock. Yes. So by 5 p.m., yeah. like I'm brain dead. Yep. And this isn't even burnout related to me anymore. This is just like, listen, yeah. I, I, I'm i not even thinking anymore. Yeah. You want to talk to me at six o'clock? You better leave me time for a nap at noon. Exactly. <laughs> because I know that. <laughs> not going to last. I'm not going to last. So I think understanding, going through that series of questions, I think is still important. Like starting with, well, what's important to you now? What did you learn about yourself? What's important to you? What are your values? What do you need time for? Are you building in rest and recovery to your days? Yeah. If you want flexibility, how do you offer that to yourself without feeling guilty? Yeah. Yeah. And it's really hard if you like in my case, you know, I've had de- two decades of a corporate background. So yeah. there's so much to unlearn. Like and what? Like the number of hours you need to put in a day. Yeah. And the number of things you, you know, you have to check off your list. Mm. Because right now the agreement 
pretty much is between me and myself, literally. Yeah. Right? And I still feel guilty sometimes when mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, you know, like there's still all these things I want to do, but I can't. At the same time, like I'm now my own boss. So if I now wear my CEO hat and I'm like, what's what would CEO Karina say about this, the future, right? Um, yeah. How do I make these trade-off decisions and how do I accept that this is really my capacity? And I don't say that as a weakness of, oh, I only can work three days a week, but rather I choose to work three days a week yeah. because that's what's right for me and for my family. And it's I'm not okay. Yeah. It doesn't bother me to call it my capacity. Yeah. Like I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm cool with my capacity not being yeah. 50 hour weeks. Like yeah. I, I don't need to, I don't feel like I need to prove that to anybody or like, you know, or, or I don't, I don't care. Yeah. I really yeah. don't. I don't have a 40 hour week in me. Yeah. I don't yeah. have it. Me neither. Not anymore. But I still no. have this, you know, when I, when I, I recognize, when I share that with people and say, oh, I work three hours a week. There are days where I catch myself and I, oh, I work only three, you know, three days a week. There's still that word in the middle that only makes me feel like I'm less than. Yeah. And this is the only thing I'm capable of. And then I have to quickly reframe that and say that that wasn't good. State that again. <laughs> one more time. One more time. Let's try this again. So that, that's one thing, right? Of just recognizing you get to choose. But I yeah. have to, you know, I, I want to underline what you said. I think switching to self-employment can be really hard if you have extra pressure. Yeah of, you know, finances or being the primary breadwinner. And so I, you know, when, when, when I talk to people who are very excited because it sounds so great, right? Like you own your schedule and you work whenever you want. I, I also just want to offer a balanced perspective that yes, and also, you know, if you're the primary breadwinner, which was the case for me with a young child, you know, I had contracting conversations with my husband about this decision before I finally made it happen, right? So, yeah, I, I, yeah, I just thinking it through is really important. Yeah, I think those financial pressures are a big thing. And I think something that you don't understand coming from a corporate space is that you literally wear every single hat in your business right. until you can start hiring people for things. Yeah, I produced fried by myself for <sighs> a year and a half. Wow. It took me an, a full day of work, six to eight hours, every single week yeah. to produce this podcast. And we when underestimate we, it. We underestimate what it takes sometimes to yeah. be a marketer, be a salesperson, be a right. podcast producer, be a coach, be a speaker, be a, there's just so yeah. many hats to wear. Yeah. And if you're not used to that, that can be really challenging. Like my husband yeah. left um, a corporate role for like a small consultancy at some point, I don't know, 10, 10, 10 years ago or so. Mm. It lasted only six months. He said he, that he knew it was not going to be good for him when the first yeah. day they handed him a computer and he opened it and the computer wasn't set up for him. <laughs> Yeah. But you know, oh, he'd only ever tough. worked. Yeah. He had only <laughs> ever worked in corporate where you get your computer and all the right. apps you need are there and everything. Yes. Is, he said, I, 
it was a brand new computer and there was nothing yeah. on and I was supposed yeah. to sit there and I was like welcome to life like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> nobody's ever set up my stuff you know right look at me started with accounting <laughs> exactly I literally had my accounts in google sheets until six months ago yeah. because I couldn't wow. afford an accountant yeah yeah I started paying for six for QuickBooks six months ago right because yeah. I just I could I couldn't do it any other way. I didn't have the money to do it an, another way. Yeah, and then right. it just means that you make the trade off of okay, you have to dedicate time for these things because right. you can't delegate that. So yes, something has to give, right? Something yeah. has to go. Yeah, and so when for me, just so that everybody has a little bit of a picture, like for me, I only take calls Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. I don't take calls on Mondays and Fridays. Yeah. Mondays and Fridays, I still sit down and do work. Yeah. But the work that I do on Mondays and Fridays tends to be my like either creative or admin work. Yeah. I yes. play with videos on Mondays and Fridays. I yeah. do silly things. I, I write like, yeah, you know, like I, I write podcast episodes of yeah. things that are like really getting if like something really pissed me off on LinkedIn, then I'm like, I got to write a podcast episode. About <laughs> this, you know? Like yes. I use those times for I, I do better with creativity when I have unimpeded time. Yeah. So I use this, I still use those days, but if I don't have an episode to write or I don't have to make any videos or I don't have, I sometimes watch TV in the middle of the day. Yeah. (laughs) Why, why wouldn't we, right? I I remember the first day where I took a nap in the middle of a work day. It's so funny because I'm like, I just took a nap in the middle of a work day. You know what thing I celebrated, <laughs> even as someone who worked for herself, I used to, I, I had patients. So I had to go into an office and be with patients for X amount of hours at a time. I took a bath yeah. at two o'clock on a Tuesday. Yeah. And I remember being in the bath and being like, it's, it's like- two o'clock on a Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> what is happening? Yeah. Right? Like, this is great. Yeah. Yeah. And it's hard. I think especially what you said about, you know, carving out those spaces and those time buckets, because coming from a corporate environment, you're, I remember where work started at six in the evening because I just had to go through a full day of meetings. Yeah. And now I know, well, that doesn't work for me. Yeah. I, and I really don't want to do that anymore. Do and you say no to a lot of networking meetings? I do. I do too. It has its pros and cons because, yeah. you know, as a, you know, being self-employed, I do kind of want to still be connected and I still want to network, but I'm very, very picky. Yeah, me too. I think this is the pickiest I've ever been yeah, in a really too. long time. Whenever people like connect with me and then are like, let's hop on a call. I'm like, yeah. I don't know you. Yeah. yeah. No, th- no, thank you. No, and I usually do these, for example, only on Fridays. Yeah. So that means it's right away limited to a couple yeah. of hours a week. Yeah. yeah. And not more. So yeah. I think even the discipline of how I use my time as self-employed is different because I I almost didn't care how the time was used because other people decided that for me. Right. 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 Um, yeah, that and that sense. you know, without blaming anybody, that was just yeah, yeah. how I. It's just the system. It, that was the system and that's my lack of boundaries. It was decided for me and now I get to decide. Yeah. I like that. All right. So we're, we're going to get toward the wrapping up zone because now we're just going into a conversation <laughs> that, that we that we feel like having. Yeah. <laughs> if there's somebody listening who is about to prepare for their return to work, 
what is the the most important thing that they need to do? Is it this question that you asked earlier? Yes, and also paying attention to signals in your body that's mm. either supporting that it is the right time to return or if it's coming from someplace else, yeah. like pressure or guilt. Um, because I think it's really important. And I, I don't know that there's a list of signs to look out for, to be honest. I think it's really very individual, but just really noticing what is happening in your body and in your mind as you're imagining that return. Yeah. And just asking yourself two, three, four times, is it the right time? And then going through the questions later on, of, is this the right place? What do I need? What's going to be different this time? And so on and so forth. Yeah. And what and have I learned? Really, what have yeah. I learned? And just really honoring the recovery time. It's important. We deserve it. We've earned it. So slow down and then we speed up. <laughs> 100%. And I think in, in Chinese medicine, we would say that the sort of physical response to questions when it's a no, there's some sort of yeah. contraction in your yes. body. There's something that feels tighter, smaller, lower, closed, right? There's a contraction. And when it's a yes, it feels like an expansion. Yeah. And if you have a little bit of a mix, like you expanded, but then got nervous, yeah. trust the first yes. reaction. Trust the beginning of that physical yes. reaction, I think is, yes. is important. Yes, because going back is will always be a combination of feelings and emotions. Exactly. Always. But trust the first response. Yeah, amen. For everybody out there, if you're like, um, I need to sit down with Karina and answer all of those questions right now, <laughs> you can go to karinaschneider.com. That will be in the show notes. It is also, if you are watching this in video form, directly below me on the screen. Karina, thank you so much for some really powerful questions today and some really great reminders of what it means to be in burnout recovery and how we can use that. Thank you. I, I really enjoyed the conversation. Um, I do listen to your podcasts all the time. Oh, you do? I, <laughs> I do. Know. And um, yeah, I just, I wished we had this resource. I wished I had this. Yeah. Um, and so I think your your listeners and your community members are incredibly fortunate that you do the work that you do. And thank God I found you doing the work that you do. Because you. literally I was I just kept sending people to you and then I was like, oh, my God, I, I really I'm it's to the point where it's embarrassing. Like I need to invite no. her on. It's, I need to invite her on because this conversation clearly needs to happen. I'm yeah. clearly interested in what she's yeah. saying. Yeah. So for everybody out there. My fried family. Today was another series of reminders to have self-compassion, to grant yourself grace, to ask yourself the tough questions and allow yourself the space to answer them. I can't wait to hear how this episode has helped you when the email goes out, feel free to reply to me and let me know how you're feeling. Feel free to tag us in things on LinkedIn and in all the places we were, we are going to really love 
to hear your feedback on this one. I think this is a critical piece of the burnout recovery puzzle that we have not managed to talk about. And we're coming up on four years at Fry the Burnout Podcast. So this is, I just feel like a, a little puzzle piece just got clicked into place. And I'm, I'm so happy for that. So be kind, be gentle, bring yourselves grace, and I'll see you in a week. Ain't gonna burn ourselves out no more Ain't gonna burn ourselves out no more Got each other on our side Plus all the folks at Fried the Burnout Podcast With Kate Donovan